So our topic this month has been on servanthood. And we had started the beginning of the month and our theme scripture was from Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, let him be your servant. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Isn't that a strange scripture? I mean, I said last week, when you think of all the people who are top, you know, the CEOs, the chairmans of the board, and people who lead, you don't think of them as looking at themselves as servants. And in this world, that's not how it works. It's, it's the people who are the A-type personalities, the people who are bloodthirsty, the people who fight, who, you know, who claw their way to the top, seem to be the ones who get somewhere in this world. But Jesus, his theology, his reasoning was always contrary to how we would understand it. He said, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And we've been examining that this month. And we're going to continue on that path. We're going to be looking a little bit more on that. And so this is our focus scripture from Matthew 20, 26. And the first week we talked about having a servant's heart. Because if you're going to be serving someone, you got to do it with the right spirit, the right attitude. If you do it and you're not really into it, it's going to show. (laughs) It's going to show. And so the first thing, if you're going to be a servant of the living God, you got to do it with the right attitude, with the right um, heart. And then last week, we looked at the call to serve and how you have to be ready if you're going to be a servant. You've got to be uh, have yourself ready. If you're not ready to be a servant, you can't serve. Like if you are a UPS driver... And you go in there with your jeans and your, you know, regular work, they'll probably send you back home because you're not ready to work. You're not ready to serve. So we have to, the Bible says, present ourselves what? A living sacrifice. So the, 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 the call to serve starts with us being ready and available because if you're not available, you can't be used. And we talked about the two sons who, the father asked them, would, would, he, would they go and work in the vineyard? The first son said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready, I'm going to go. The second son said, no, but in the end, it was reversed. It was the son that said, no, he wouldn't, that went, and the son that said he would, that didn't. So we have to have a willing heart. So this week, we're going to look at two examples of servanthood in, of course, our greatest example, which is Jesus himself. And then we're going to look at Paul. And next week we're going to look at the challenges of being a servant. And then finally the rewards of serving. So as we said last week, just a little bit of review that we're called to be servants. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you. Paul was pleading. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that he present your bodies. Because if you're going to serve, it's an action. Right? It's no good saying, yep. And then not doing anything. So you're, you, you have to step up to the plate. You have to actually be present. Present your bodies a living. You're, you're gonna not be serving just with your mind. You have to be serving with your bodies. Amen? 
present your bodies a living sacrifice. Thanks be to God, we don't have to bring turtle doves, we don't have to bring goats. But we do have to bring a heart. We have to bring our bodies, the Bible says, as a living sacrifice. Which is only our reasonable service. When you, when you do anything for God, that's not like, okay, give me a pat on the back now. The Bible says that's just what? Our reasonable service. That's just what we ought to be doing. You don't need a, a special, you know, that's, it says, look, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. We talked last week about being not pressured by this world to conform to what they want you to do. And how do you do that? By being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So let's really dive right in. And we're, this week we're talking about Jesus and Paul. And what was Jesus's uh, greatest demonstration of servanthood? Well, you have a lot to pick from. Washing his feet. Okay, that's certainly one. Anyone else? Any, anything else? Because I have a lot here I'm going to hit on. <laughs> Dying on the cross. I think that has to be number one. Dying on the cross was the ultimate, the ultimate uh, example of servanthood. He said, for this cause came I into the world. You know, most of us, well, all of us, I hope, we don't know the day of our departure. But Jesus did. He knew exactly when he was going to be crucified. And he came knowing that, you know, if I knew that, you know, two weeks from now I was going to die, I'd probably lock myself in my room shut the door, and order in. We would be paralyzed with fear. But because he gave the ultimate sacrifice of servanthood, he still went about doing everything, even knowing as time approached what was going to happen. So let's start with some other things. So you're right, the ultimate example of Christ's servanthood was him being willing to serve by dying on the cross. But also, the other things that he gave up was taking on a human body. Think about that. The incarnation. Philippians 2.8 says, and being found in the fashion as a man. Now, right now, most of us can see pretty good, right? I got my contacts in so I can see you pretty good. But imagine if we were to have to give up something in order to save someone. Imagine if to save someone we'd have to give up our sight. Do you understand that he was very God and he had to give up quite a lot to become man? That's servant. That's a servant's heart. Philippians tells us that and being found in fashion as a man... Do you know how much he gave up just to take that one step to be a man? Think about what men suffer. I'm getting ahead of myself. But one of the first parts of being a servant was him giving up the fullness of the divinity that was when he was a a spirit. To be limiting himself to what only a man can do. That's a giving up a lot. Be like you deciding, okay, I'm going to give up my eyes to be like a blind person so I can experience what a blind person goes through. So I can really understand what it is to be blind. Think about that. For 33 and a half years, God 
became man. He limited himself. So what does that mean when I say he limited himself? What are some of the limitations of humankind that is not a limitation for God? You said what? Okay. He was tired. God can't be tired. Right? Think about the limitations. Philippians 2, 6, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but left aside that. He limited himself. So think about all the things that happened to Jesus. The Bible said he was weary. He was hungry. He was able now to feel pain. This is what I'm talking about, what he gave up to be a servant. He could feel, God can't feel pain. Not in the sense that we feel pain. Yes, God can feel sorrow because that's an emotion. But the same kind of physical pain and things that we go through, he was limited. He was hungry. He w- he could become tired now. God can never be tired. So I'm just showing some of the steps he took to become a servant. Imagine that. It'd be like you giving up your eyes for 33 and a half. Who, anyone here willing to do that? <laughs> uh, n- n- just that step coming from being God and not unlimited, totally unlimited to being encased in a physical body was a huge, huge jump. Think about it. Think about it. He limited himself to walking. There's only two times he did a miracle that seemed at first glance to be for himself. But when you really look at it, it wasn't really for him. He never once did a miracle for himself. In fact, the very first temptation as he came from the desert was what did Satan say to him? You're hungry. You have the power. I know who you really are. You have the power to turn this stone into bread. What's wrong with that? There wasn't anything wrong with that except we can't normally do that. If he had done that, then he would have cheated. Satan said it would have been proof that we couldn't do that. Do you understand what he say? Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. It wasn't that it was wrong for him to do that, but if he had did done that, he would be no longer limiting himself. He would have stopped being a servant because a servant can't just do that. Right? So you see that he placed upon himself to become a servant. He placed all these limitations upon himself. Let's look at this in Hebrews 2.6. The writer of Hebrews is quoting from a psalm. And in the psalm, it's not clear who the scripture is talking about. But now in Hebrews, the writer is revealing who this really was talking about. He says, but in one certain place, that's Psalms 8, if you go look at it. God says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you even bother with us? <laughs> do you know how many stars there are? Do you, know, do you know how small the earth is in the whole scheme of stuff? In the Bible it says it's the nations are but like a drop in the bucket. There's probably ten hundred times more angels than there are human beings. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. That's in Psalms 8. But the revelation of who it was speaking of is not given till Hebrews. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. And it's revealed that he's really speaking about Jesus 
who was made a little lower, limited himself, taking on the form of a servant, willing to give up all his power so that he could feel hunger, that he could feel pain, that he could feel hurt, that he could feel loss. That's a servant's heart. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. What he was saying, this very man who was walking about had everything under his power if he wanted to, but you couldn't see it. You couldn't know it because he didn't use it except for others. In fact, the very, very last temptation when he was on the cross, what did they tell him? You come down. We know you can do it. If you're, if you're the, who you say you are, just come on down off the cross and we'll believe you. Right? He limited himself all the way to death. That shows you the servant's heart that God exhibited. Verse 9 gives the revelation. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the very purpose of suffering death. He limited himself in a physical body that he could even experience. The Bible says, taste what death is like for us. That actually... And here's, here's the revelation. If you are baptized in his name, and if you are truly filled with his spirit, the Bible says you do not die. You're going to be changed. Even when this physical body disappears, Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That means you don't go down to that place. You go straight to that place. Amen? So we see that Part of becoming a servant was first limiting himself. You know, limit, he did all these things because, as an example, when he went to John the Baptist, John the Baptist knew who he was, and John the Baptist said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I can't baptize you. <laughs> you should be baptizing me. What did Jesus say? He didn't say he was wrong. He said, suffer it to be so. He meant, go ahead with it to fulfill all righteousness because he was doing many of the things he did not because he needed to but he was showing us an example of a servant right a servant could run away a servant could not do what the master wants but then he wouldn't be a servant Jesus is our prime example of servanthood but we see Jesus who was made a little I've said many times until he bowed his head and said father receive my spirit the wood that he was nailed to would have rotted away before he would have died. He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. No, and you're right. I have the power to take it up again. It wasn't the nails that killed him. He chose when he died. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower for the suffering of death. Crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Isn't that awesome? We're talking about servanthood. And the first thing about a servant is you're going to have to limit yourself. You're going to have to limit your desires. You're going to have to limit what you want to do. Because as many times, you don't want to do certain things that God wants you to do. Isn't that true? Again, on Sunday mornings, I've said it so many times. The bed is so great feels so warm, so cozy. Amen. Amen. 
So the first thing we see about Jesus is that he limited his power. Jesus said about us that if you're going to be his servant, you've got to do what? Deny yourself and take up what? Your own cross, not somebody else's cross. Your own cross and follow me. You can't be trying to look at somebody else's cross. So let's look at this some more. But he made, Philippians 2, 7, but he made himself of no reputation. We studied in the Genesis, the first few lessons about Abraham's servant. He was given this great task of going to get a wife for Isaac. And yet in that whole chapter, we never know his name. Because it's not about him, it's about the job. See, if you're going to be a servant, you don't necessarily need to get recognition. Your reward is in who you're serving. We never hear his name. It's just Abraham had a servant who was the chief of his household. We never hear his name. But he was given this huge task. Go all the way back to my home country and get a wife for my son. It's not till much later we learn his name. And that's exactly a parallel with the Holy Spirit. Bible says the Holy Spirit, when he that come, he shall not speak of himself. Right? He shall not speak of himself. The Holy Spirit is, a, is to speak to us what the words that God wants us to understand. But made himself, this is about Jesus, but made himself of no reputation. You can't get much lower than being born in a barn. Any of you were born at home? I was born at home. But I wasn't born in a barn. You can't get, you know when the wise men came looking for him, where did they go? They went to the palace. They went to Jerusalem. Knowing that the king of the Jews is going to be born, he's got to be born in a palace. But to show you what God's symbology was, he chose the very lowest possible place even to be born in a manger in a stable. See, I believe God engineered that. Cuz you know, you may be born at home, but I don't there's none of us been born in a in a in a manger, in a stable. I slept in a stable one time. I was on a when I was in the the cadets, they they we had to do a a 50-mile trek. And uh Part of it was roughing it in the country and we, we went to this farm and the farmer let us sleep in the stable. I tell you, it wasn't the most pleasant night. <laughs> Just the odors was quite invigorating. <laughs> but I wasn't, I wasn't born in a stable. Now people use that as a joke. Were you born in a stable? <laughs> the only one who could answer that would have been Jesus. Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Jesus, God arranged that so that none of us can say, well, I had it worse than you. You know, a lot of people, that's what they like to say. Oh, my, my life is so bad. I got it. You, you don't understand what I'm going through. <laughs> yeah, some of you laughing because you've heard that before. You don't understand. You just, you just don't know what I'm dealing with. Well, the Bible tells us that yes, he does. Yes, he does. You know, they said to Jesus, we know who our father is. You know what they were doing? They were having a little dig. 
Because the story had gotten out about Mary. The fact that she had gotten pregnant before uh, Joseph and Mary had actually been united. They, they said, we know who our father is. You know what they were calling him? A bastard. Illegitimate. We know who our father is. So you can't, you can't one-up Jesus in suffering. Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful. Isn't it great that he understands? When you suffer, when you're hungry, when you don't know where you're going to sleep. He said, foxes have holes, right? But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, that means to help, to understand them that are tempted. You see, the first part of being a servant was the form that he took. He limited himself so much that he, he walked everywhere. You know, he walked from north part of Galilee all the way down to, you know how many miles that is? Even just going to Jerusalem, remember, was a three-day journey. To go to the temple was a three-day journey from where his parents lived in Nazareth because they had donkeys and mules and those kinds of things. So it's a good thing it's not a three-day journey to church, isn't it? You'd be on the road all the time. Time you got home, it would be time to come back to church. For in, he, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. A, a servant's form is what he took. Servanthood then means serving. Because we're all going to tell, yes, Lord, I'm your servant. Yes, Lord, I'm your servant. That's what last week we discussed, right? When Peter said, you know I love you. There's no one in here is going to say they don't love God, right? I believe. We're all going to say when he asks you, do you love me? Every hand's going to go up. But then there is something for us to do. Right? So if you're a servant, then serve. And our greatest example of that was, of course, Jesus Christ. He himself in Matthew 20, 28 said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to. He didn't come for them to wait on him hand and foot. But to minister, to serve. And to give his life. The ultimate reason he came to give his life a ransom for many. Acts 10.38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good. If you're a servant, that's your job. That's your job. You've got to go around doing what? Doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. That's, what, that's all he did. He didn't do anything for himself. Now, there was one time he was walking on the water, but why was he out walking on the water? Why was he out walking on the water? That looks like he was doing something. He was cheating. He was walking on the water. Any of you tried walking on the bath water? <laughs> Not going to work. Why was he walking on the water? Was it for himself? So why was he walking on the water? Because they were in a storm. That's why he was walking on the water. It wasn't for himself. They were in a storm. They were panicking. 
he had sent them up before him in the ship and a storm came up. And if he hadn't showed up, who knows what would have happened. But he showed up because of them. And they saw Jesus walking on the water. And Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. Bid me to come. You see, servanthood means serving. Right? Servanthood means serving. So if you're going to say, Lord, I love you, you know he's going to ask you the next question. That's right. Do something. Feed my sheep. It wasn't to ask Peter if he loved him. Peter said, look, you can see my heart. You know I love you. Well then, show it. Show it. What are you doing? What are you, how are you serving? Okay? Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing what? Good. Doing good. So servanthood means you can't call yourself a servant if you never respond to the call. Right? You can't call yourself a servant if you never do any serving. So now, servants, servants do what? What kind of work do the servants do? What kind of work do servants do? That's right. They do all the kind of work. Let's call it the dirty work. That's what servants, they do all the kind of work nobody else wants to do. So what did Jesus do? He went around teaching and preaching, healing the sick, feeding the thousands. Luke 5.31, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. What do, who do doctors treat? That's what they should do. Sometimes, of course, you go in there and they try and find stuff. But what they should be doing is treating the sick. What we are called to serve is not the well people. It's not the high and mighty people, right? If you're going to be a servant, you do the dirty work. You do the cleaning and the cooking. In other words, the church is a spiritual hospital. All right? You're not going to find everybody. If there's perfect people in here, the church won't be here. But it's the place where we can get repaired. It's the place where we go to get triaged. It's the place where we go to get healed. It's the place where broken people come. Jesus as a servant, because he came to serve, he didn't just go to the rich and mighty. Where did he go? He went to where the need was. If you go to rich people's house, is there anything I can do for you? The first they'll look at you like, (laughs) what are you doing at my door? But you go to someone who has a need, they'll say, come on in. Yesterday, uh, Brother Nick and I went somewhere, and as soon as we pulled up, the guy was already on the balcony, and he was waving to us. The door was already open. Come on in, right? He had a need. Now you go to some rich person, you'll only get to the gated community. They'll say, uh, do you have an appointment? Do you, do you know who, who it is you've come to see? So Jesus, because he came to serve, went to where the need was. And that's why this church is right here. Amen. We're not in the rich and mighty. We're not in the, you know, there's a need everywhere, but we're, we're at, we're at a place of great need. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, the good people, the ones who are doing right, but sinners. 
That means when you come into church, expect sinners. Now, hopefully you don't stay that way. You didn't go to a hospital to die. You go to a hospital to walk out better. When you come to a church, you hope to walk out spiritually encouraged. You hope to be uplifted. You hope to be delivered. I came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. Some people come to church and they, they look around and say, look at all these terrible people in here. Look at all what they're doing. Look at how they're dressed. Look at what they're into. Now, when you go to the hospital, is that what you say? Look at all these sick people in here. <laughs> what are they doing in here? Are you surprised when you go to a hospital that there's sick people there? But some people, they come to church and they're so critical. Doesn't pastor know what's going on here? Yeah, I do. I know what's going on. This is a hospital. Jesus said it's not the, it's not the well that need him. It's those that are sick. That's what servanthood is about. You know, when you go to a, a place that's got good customer service, the first thing they say is what? How may we help you? That should be the church. When someone walks in here, can I pray for you? If you have any, you know what? We're too scared to do that because they may actually ask us something. <laughs> they may actually ask us something. Ooh, we may actually have to do something. But I'm a servant and I love you, Lord. Bless me, whatever you ask, Lord. If you call me to China, I'll go. But you call me to Milwaukee. That's right. Send me somewhere else. You see, servants, as I said, get themselves dirty. Let's look at an example of that. In Luke, Jesus was invited to this Pharisee's house. And the interesting thing about where this house was, it was in the village of, I believe, Bethany. Now, Bethany was a village on the outskirts of Jerusalem that was a special village. I don't know if you remember what I said Bethany was composed of and why it was set aside. Anyone remember? What was it? Okay, well, it was a city that was designated for lepers. Everybody who was in Bethany, or most people, were lepers. Jesus went to a place where there was a disease that even today is not curable. They can treat it, but they can't cure it. He went to this place. Do you see what I'm talking about? A servant? Now he went to this Pharisee who no doubt probably had leprosy because he lived in Bethany. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And you all know the story. And stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And of course the critics said, this is some great man and he doesn't know who this is. The funny thing is, look where their house was. It was in Bethany. The place where lots of lepers were. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Isn't that amazing? Now, someone said about examples of servanthood. 
We said the greatest, of course, was that Jesus went to the cross. Certainly it was great that he became man. That obviously was, was huge. Limiting himself to what men can do. Name some other things because I want to tie something together here. Name, name another example of Jesus' servanthood. Someone said it before. He washed his disciples' feet. Now, here we have this woman doing what? Washing his feet. What I'm trying to show you is something about servanthood and the emblem of washing each other's feet. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known and who what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Do you understand that the servants do the dirty work? She was being a servant. What was she doing? Now, most of us, uh, you know, we don't like watching other people's feet. And we're going to do that. We're going to do that again. We, we stopped it during COVID, but the next time we, we do the uh, communion, we're going to do the whole thing. Amen. We're going to go the foot washing because it is such a symbol of what a servant is. What was she doing? She was washing his feet. In those days, they wore sandals. The roads were not paved. They were full of dust. And in most houses, when you came in, there was a basin and the servants would wash the guests' feet. But when Jesus came in, this guy, he didn't feel that that was necessary. But God was setting up a symbol showing the heart that Mary Magdalene had because this is who it was. We don't know her name. She didn't ask for any glory. She did this completely out of a sense of repentance and love. Remember what a servant does? A servant serves. And she took this alabaster jar that some say was six months wages. So just take your salary, divide it in half, and come and wash my feet. No. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I'm not asking you to do that. No, no. (laughs) But this is what she did. This, this, so people out there will be saying, this is what pastor really wants. No. <laughs> no. No. Jesus set, allowed this as an example. She didn't, she, we, in fact, we don't know her name. Do you know that here? It's not revealed till in John where it says this was the same woman that washed his feet. Then we find out it's Mary Magdalene. But what did Jesus say? Wherever the gospel is preached... Wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told as, 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 a, as a memorial to her because she, she did something that this man didn't do. He, she recognized truly how much of a sinner she was. And she wanted to serve because Jesus went on to say, to whom uh, much is forgiven, right, much is required, but she also, he also said, to whom much is forgiven, loves greatly. If you've been given, forgiven much, you're going to love greatly. So the servants, if you're truly a servant, you're going to have to get yourself dirty. There were some people here yesterday came and, and helped clear all the leaves. Now, I, I came and I, I just did the ramp. But then some, some other people came and cleared out the street. I was looking at the street and I said, man, boy, that's a lot. <laughs> But there were some people that had a servant's heart. They cleared out all the street. Amen. So we see the two things are connected. Her washing his feet. And then what did he do? 
wash their feet. I don't know if you notice that the two things are connected. John 13, 4. He riseth from supper. He knows that that's the night he's going to be arrested. And he wants to leave them an example of true servanthood. And they're not understanding what's happening. He riseth from supper and laid aside his garments. Took a towel and girded himself. This blows my mind. This is the creator of the universe. Who created everything. He created the wood. He created the water. He created the seat they were sitting on. And what did he do? He humbled himself. And started to wash his disciples feet. After that he poureth water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples feet. See I, I called it the penultimate. So this is the, the one before the greatest. The greatest of course is him going to the cross. But this ranks I think number two. After that he poureth water into a basin. And began to wash the disciples feet. And to wipe them with a towel. Wherewith he was girded. Of course the disciples didn't have understanding of this. They they called him master. They called him rabbi. They called him Lord. And in those days, a rabbi or a Lord did not wash his servant's feet. They were supposed to wash his feet. And of course, Peter, you know how he is. Thou shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him saying, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Now I want you to go back to when she washed his feet. She had a part with him. If we don't wash each other's feet, if we're not ministering to another, we don't have no part with him. You understand what I'm saying? You have no part with him. That's what he was revealing. We had to wash each other's feet. Thou shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And then Peter, of course, he was like that. Whatever Jesus said, he just switched. All right, well then just throw the whole thing over me. He said, you don't have to do that if you've been baptized. If you've already been washed, if you've been baptized, all that it needs is that your feet, because we walk in this world, don't we? Tomorrow you're going to walk out into all kinds of mess and filth and foul and hear all kinds of stuff, see all kinds of stuff. And even if you don't participate, sometimes you leave a, an atmosphere just feeling old. You see something you didn't really want to see and it just kind of plays on your mind. When we come here, the word is washing our feet. Amen. The word is washing our feet. We're being encouraged. The word is actually cleansing us. And that's what he wanted to show. That servanthood is doing. Just like love, it's an action. It's not a saying. Oh, I love you. I love you. People say that all the time, right? Say that all the time. But then if you call them. Uh, I, got, I just bought some land. I got to go do some stuff. <laughs> okay. Now we could spend this whole lesson on Jesus, but I did say we were also going to look at Paul. So let's look at Paul who called himself the chief of sinners. Okay. Now who wants that title here? I know Dr. Bishop and apostle. Anyone want chief of sinners? <laughs> it's a, it's an official title now. I'm going to ordain you chief of sinners. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Paul called himself chief of sinners. I've never heard an organization give that out. But that's what Paul called himself. Jesus said this again, in, in just to refresh you. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, that means the top. 
shall be servant of all. That is so opposite to the world's thinking. That is so contrary to the way the world works. But he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. Why? For they shall inherit. You know, if God has got something for you, nobody can take it from you. Nobody can take it from you. It just won't happen. When I used to write songs and be in a group in the 80s, I would never copyright this stuff because I always felt no one can take it from me. If they do take it, God will just give me a better song. Right? If you have something from God, no one can take it from you. And whosoever will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Yes, Paul was boasting. He was saying that I was the worst sinner. God saved me as an example. Sometimes I feel like that. Lord, you, you, you're just using me as an example because I don't deserve your blessings. I don't deserve all the things you have done for me. Verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Because he put up with me, Paul is saying, he put up with me all these few years when I was killing Christians, when I was torturing Christians, when I was putting them in prison. He, he could have killed me. He put up with me for all that time. I think one of the greatest messages I heard, and I've told you about it, uh, was a, last year I went to, to conference and I heard this message called, they were first called Christians in Antioch. And that message hit me. Because all of the Christians in Antioch were the ones in Jerusalem whom Paul had persecuted. who had He had killed people in the, their families and they had escaped to Antioch. And here on a Sunday, the way the preacher said it, here comes Barnabas and says, here is your new pastor. Brother Paul is going to be the pastor of the, the church. Can you imagine looking at someone who just had... A couple years ago, your family member, member killed, put in prison, tortured. He, he, he confessed to making people blaspheme. No wonder he said he was the chief of sin. This shows you God's love. He said for the long suffering, long suffering, that he might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him. Ever. That shows you God's mercy. And that's why he called himself the, because he tortured Christians. He tried to get them to recant, to deny Christ. And yet God's love turned that around. So that he, instead of being a torturer, became a servant. A servant. So Paul is not so much the apostle, across the doubt, or the bishop, the servant. He begins his epistle this way. Paul, a servant. Can you call yourself a servant? Is that not the highest title that could be given out? I think they should change it from, from bishop and uh, doctor, whatever. If I truly, if my title is servant of the Most High God, isn't that something? Can there be a greater thing than when God says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Even though you put him through all kinds of things, even though you, you've, you've made him sick, even though you, his children have been killed, even though he's lost all his family, hast thou considered my servant Job? What a title. What a title. Paul called himself, first of all, a servant. You know, he puts it before he calls himself apostle. 
Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel. In Titus, he does it again. Paul, a servant of God. In fact, in the real Greek, it means a slave. A bit lower than a servant. A slave truly has no choice. He's a bond servant. That means he's in, he's, he's compelled, compelled to preach the gospel. When he was going back the last time uh, to, to, to Jerusalem, and all the warnings came and said, listen, they're going to arrest you. They're going to chain you. They're going to they're throw you in prison. You know what he said in Acts 20? Nothing moves me. Nothing moves me. I count all of my previous stuff, my tithes. Paul was probably a PhD in our day. He was probably a doctorate. He doesn't call himself any of that. He learned at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the principal uh, teacher of the law in those days. In fact, in another scripture, the king said, too much learning has made you mad. He, he said, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find. That's a servant. A servant doesn't say, I need to be in the king's double, double bed uh, with the, you know, the quilt pillows. Paul was quite content to worship God when he's in prison, about to be executed, and at midnight. He and, um, I forgot his name now, not Barnabas, Silas, were singing songs. Servants make themselves happy. Servants find their own happiness. I was going to tell on my wife because I wanted to go to sleep last night and she's singing songs. And it was at midnight. (laughs) I was just lucky there was no earthquake. (laughs) Yeah, she was singing. I said, Sister Brownie. She said she didn't feel sleepy, so she's singing songs out loud. Paul, a servant. Are, Are you today going to be a servant? Amen. We're going to be finishing this. If you could stand with me, we ran out of time. Let me just cover this. To be a servant, this is what Paul says. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. I'm not serving for the limelight to be shone on me. It's not because I want a spotlight. Look at me. Look what I did. But in lowliness of mind, let much each esteem the other better than themselves. I look at some people and I really do, man, they're better than me because I don't know if I could go through what they're going through. I don't know if I had the strength to deal with what I see them go through. Look not every man to his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that's what I started with. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Though he could have demanded every single thing. He said, I could call 12 legions of angels if I wanted to. That was more than the size of the whole Roman Empire. But made himself of no reputation. No reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. I just want to touch on this before we, we're going to stop here. But the, what's the purpose of serving? Well, it's to win others. Paul said, for though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant 
unto all. The purpose of being a servant is so that you can win somebody. So that you can be used to, to be a winner. I made myself, this is what Paul said, I made myself, I was free. I wasn't a slave. I, I was a free man. I was a Roman citizen. But here's what he said. For though I be free from all men, yet made I myself, in other words, a slave unto all that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew. When he went to Jerusalem, and even though he knew the law was not going, you know, was not effective, just to, to try and win some of the Jews who were trained under the law, he followed the, the, the guiding of the elders and he went to the temple. This is what he means. And unto the Jews I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law as without the law, being not without the law to God but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them. This is the purpose of serving. Not just to serve, not just to be a servant, but to win others. Verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake. Amen. That I might be a partaker thereof with you. We're closing this Sunday school lesson, but I hope you have been blessed. Next week, we're going to do the fourth part, which is the challenges of serving. There are some challenges if you say, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord, then there is going to be some challenges. But the last lesson will be the blessings of serving. Amen. Because there are such great blessings. If we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Help it to find good soil. Let, oh God, our hearts be encouraged. Let our souls be edified today as we try to be your servant. Lord, uh, the highest calling that we can be. Lord, that we are your bond servant. Lord, help us to be a servant that is effective, Lord God. That serves others, that loves others, that ministers to others. We thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Oh Lord, in our second service, Lord, I pray you minister that your spirit have liberty to touch, to deliver, to uplift, Lord God. We just bless your holy name and we give you all of the honor in Jesus' name. Let's give God a a praise offering this morning.